diversity, and inclusion are words which are used often not only in many organizations today but also form the core point of several political parties across the world. But what do they really mean? And can the meaning and impact be the same for individuals in the East of the world as well as the West? Let's find out with people whose everyday lives are steeped in diversity. Where lust for a whole life and nothing but less makes people jump out of a comfortable pond into an unknown ocean. Welcome to that journey between the East and the West. Who says Rolling Stones don't gather moss? Hello everyone, I am Meenu Gupta, your host for the day, and I'm delighted to have you join me every week as amazing people share their incredible and inspiring life stories of straddling continents. Thank you. So China is enormous, right? It's a patchwork quilt of cultures, religions, um, and dialects. So I'm the most familiar with Shanghai, and Shanghai, quite frankly, is the most mature city in all of China. You can also match it up with Beijing, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Hangzhou, even a couple of the tier two cities. But it's a pretty mature city. It's not like in Europe, and now I've got a little bit of experience of being in Europe. In Europe, they're really pushing for this what is it? Equality, inclusion, diversity. In China, it's slow progress. You know, you still don't have so many women on boards of directors, but there's also not a push to put them in. There's no laws that are coming about that you have to have a certain quota of female against males. But I think people are realizing that you do sort of need a balance. I learned that on the job. I actually started off my business as being female centric. I only hired women. And back in those days, the reason I only hired women is because I felt that no man that I would hire would ever listen to me. Because back in those days, the society was that the male was more domineering than the female. On top of it, I was a foreigner. So I just had the impression no, but no male would listen to me, would take my orders, they would just seclude themselves. Until... I actually had my right-hand person in Shanghai say to me one day, Christina, there are too many, there's too much female hormones. We need to have a balance. We need some men to come in to balance this attitude. And she was absolutely right. It was needed. And she basically had the initiative to hire new male graduates that could be molded that needed to be trained, that would listen and, and want to be trained by older, older women. And it worked beautifully. We then had a balance building up within the company of female male employees. And we just grew it like that, just naturally to have this balancing act. But I'm still of the belief that at a moment in time, if we need to recruit somebody, we recruit the best individual that at that moment in time is in our pool of candidates. That should be our philosophy 
Um, you want to hire the best for your team that will also be the right fit for your team. Of course, again, with that idea of balance between, between the sexes there, but I, I still maintain the philosophy, we hire the best, we hire the right fit. We want long-term people within our organization. Within other organizations, I can't really say, because I've never really, I've always worked for my family business. So, I mean, if I look at my clients, I think there is a tendency to hire people of a certain sex based on the job. You will always find more women in accounting roles than you will find men. Don't ask me why, it's just the tendency I see. However, having said that, if you have a hierarchy in finance, you will find more men in finance manager roles than women. And I think that's because of the domineering aspect. If you look at sales roles, the tendency is to find, uh, let me put it another way. I think it depends on the industry and the sector you're in. If it's service, you might find more women than if you are in product categories, you might find more men. So there is still this um, discrepancy about what business you're in, what industry you're in, what sector you're in, and whether it's better to have a man or a woman uh, be included. But I do see change happening. It's just taking much, it's not being as pushed as it is here in Europe. And here in Europe, I feel it's being pushed too fast, too dramatically, that there's no balance. And, and I see this, you know, in China, they're just taking their time with the concepts and the attitudes around it. That was Christina Kola Kolucha, a lady of European descent who was brought up in Hong Kong and China and went on to live in many countries thereafter. My definition of, and I always say, you know, inclusion has to come before diversity. Diversity is just a number. Like we walk into a room, we can see, you know, the number of men and women. We can see race when you walk in. So there are a lot of things that the eye catches. In diversity, like there are also a lot of things that the eye cannot catch. So inclusion has to come first. And in terms of inclusion, you know, it is actually the acceptance. And first that has to come, the acceptance that everyone is different and everyone is an individual. So you can't put people in a box and it's it's exactly how you said, you know, you're a square pay, peg and then you're trying to fit into a round hole. So if you actually look at people as these pegs or cookies or cookie cutters, whatever is the analogy to that, you actually would assume or worst and when it comes to organizations is you actually look at these as numbers on a spreadsheet. So though these are people that we are talking about, whether it is like, you know, 25,000 people in an organization or 300,000 people in an organization, these are individuals and each individuals have a different intersection of multiple things. So their experiences are different. So the whatever emotions, whatever feelings, whatever perspectives that they bring, skills that they bring, anything that they bring to the workplace or, or in a social setting is very different. So I think the first and foremost is to actually understand individuals as in individuals. So that's the first part of any DNI journey. And then second, of course, comes inclusion. And then last is, you know, it's just number, diversity is number. So my lived experience of inclusion or lack, lack of inclusion, I would say, is definitely at the intersection of gender and race. And why I say gender and race is because 
there is a stereotype that is associated with gender the most uh, most i have uh, come come across when it comes to gender stereotypes even today is you know everyone asks me your husband works why should you work and this is something that i've never got my head around and it's it's independent of east or west like as reasoned as about 6 months back there was a very uh, very senior person who actually told me you know i was leaving my job and i said you know i decided to leave my job and i had to communicate to everyone and this is a very senior uh, individual uh, with uh, 30 plus years of experience who comes and says yeah you know you can afford to do that because your husband works i think that that's something that is associated with gender that you know when you work it's always something that you do as a hobby so even when i've had to negotiate uh, my salary it is always like oh your husband works so you know you can take i don't know 10% less why are you negotiating why are you such a difficult negotiator no i'm actually asking for what i'm doing not what my husband is doing so i would negotiate so i think this is a gender part that independent of east to west yeah, of course i have lived it and i still leave it as i said it's a, i'm stating an example that is just 6 months ago then of course in the west there is a, the other intersection that i come from which is the race and you know when you have time uh, sometimes just just listen to the my tedx as well where i speak about when we moved to switzerland there was always this perception that we have come here as refugees we are fleeing our country and you know for, for that simple reason both the socio and economic part of that So there are there are uh, mothers from my um, son's kindergarten who have actually given me old clothes, half-used groceries, just to support me, and probably in a very positive intention in that sense. But that was the intersection of race. So I think there is a my lived experience is always at the intersection of gender and race, and uh, especially in the corporate uh, world, you know, when you are Asian. your the general stereotype is you keep your head down you do your job don't raise your head don't raise your voice don't ask for things you know you just come do your job you're just invisible and just leave and as you can see i'm not invisible i don't actually accept the chair that's given to me i like to ask for the seats that i like i actually speak up i speak up for the right things so there is a imbalance in the stereotypical image that a nation woman brings in and who i am that also creates conflicts so my lived experience both at the social and professional level is definitely at the intersection of gender and race you are listening to reshma Ramachandran the lady whose will courage and determination have taken her from a village in rural india to the boardrooms across the globe and to another place she calls home zurich in the face of diversity as you just heard she faced multiple issues on inclusion she did some unlearning and learning and substantial inner reengineering to be where she is today definition of diversity it would be being able to work together applying individual strengths to support other individual weaknesses It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. If we have a common goal, we're all going to contribute and help each other stand.
here in the United States, you don't, at least from my point of view, and again, this is all my point of view, you really don't live. I mean, you look at people, uh, either they just settle into a rut in a routine and never really kind of get out of that, or they have to spend lots of money to find any kind of excitement, any kind of challenge. When you're living in a country that, like Guinea, or many of the other places we've lived, where daily life is something you have to think about. You have to, especially if you're not living in the capital city, which we weren't. So that meant if you went shopping, if you're in the capital city, you went shopping, you had to plan and think about it. It wasn't like, oh, I'll just pick something out of the freezer and go. Or if I don't have anything, I'll just run down to, to McDonald's. It's you, you have to think about it. When you go in there, then you're Every day is a thought process. It's not just that, oh, I'm going to get up and go work and come back, turn on the TV and sit down. I remember when we first came out of Somalia into Nairobi and we went from Mogadishu, which I think we were excited when we found a two aisle grocery store that had a shopping cart to the choices and selections that you could get in Nairobi. And we had to kind of, okay, step back out take a breath and go back in and deal with the challenge of choice. You are listening to Drew Bishop, who has lived in more countries than most people can put their finger on the map. He has been working all his life in the non-profit sector, helping millions across the globe. Well, I have lived in many countries and I see pros and cons in all these countries. And I, for myself, I would take out the pros, what I appreciate, would follow many of these, uh, these aspects from many countries in my personal life. I also celebrate um, many celebrations that is from different traditions because I enjoy them very much. I think once you celebrate the traditional celebrations of some other cultures, you really dive into the culture and you understand how people work and why they're doing certain actions. I, I enjoy my life more ever since I have added more uh, things to celebrate. For instance, um, it usually follows my travels because if you travel to a place and stay a long time, you would experience these festivals. For instance, um, of course, we live a long time in Europe. We do very intensively celebrate all the uh, common um, celebrations here and um, the Chinese traditional one also. But uh, since we also uh, also celebrate uh, some celebrations from the U.S. and uh, since we lived in in Indonesia also, we also uh, do some of their celebrations. Not all, so the the ones we have experiences that we liked, and also many festivals from Thailand as we live there also and also from our friends who brought in some festivals we learned and appreciated we we try to celebrate all of them so we constantly are celebrating something and uh, i think that makes my children also being very interested in other cultures they're really really um, looking forward for each country we're going to visit i think the structure of china and the u.s might be in that term comparable that is a very large country, each of them, and has very different people with very different opinions and heritage and how they see things. Well, in Europe, countries are smaller and um, you could have closer and common sense. I think in Europe, people love to talk about politics, also social conflicts, while a small talk. 
that's how people meet. I, I I've experienced that not only in Germany, in the UK, in the in Italy, uh, in many countries in Europe. This is a very um, I think that that I would say is a European um, universal way how to do small talk, even though small talk is not very appreciated generally, and especially in Germany, people like to have long talks and deeper conversations rather than small talk. While in China and in the U.S., people love to meet new people. Both 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 countries, people are very open to meet new people and happy to meet new people, make new connections, and therefore. The time frame you would talk to each one is shorter, and um, but you would then talk uh, about other things. For instance, things that do not hurt anyone, because you never know which kind of religion, which kind of cultural background, which kind of political opinion this person might have. Uh, you do not want to create conflict so that um, people try to avoid these topics in a private situation. I, I used to talk on a party in California about politics and everyone walked away. And I asked my friend and um, he is herself a, a lawyer for this area. And she, she told me this is not some, something people are supposed to talk about in the U.S. on a party because uh, this is something that is a potential conflict source and you do not want that in the, on the party. While in Europe, this is the absolute common to talk, to discuss. Sometimes it looks like a fight, but actually only a discussion uh, about politics. And I would say um, in that context, there is also differences. Very interesting. I, I never viewed it like this. And uh, therefore, you have seen diversity in multiple ways in different countries. Until the 70s, in Germany, women was not in the position to decide what to do with their hires. So if they inherited money from the family, they are not uh, in the position uh, to uh, use the, the money back then freely. And this is really a shocking, uh, shocking fact. And still the gender pay gap is still very big. And um, when I brought my children to the kindergarten, for for us, it was very natural because um, my husband is also from Beijing. Uh, from my childhood, it was always my father took care of me, cooked, do the grocery, and do the household. That is how I grew up. The same way is also my husband. I think in a big city in China, the big city people usually are like that, that the male are doing all these works. And when we were in kindergarten, um, I was playing football with my son and my, my husband was carrying the baby and um, trying to comfort the baby and um, play with it. And lots of parents uh, talked to us, yeah, something is wrong uh, with this picture of your family, but I can't tell what. And we also have lots of friends who told me this is absolute uh, for them quite a new thing to see that um, my husband is doing all the housework. This is for us very normal. We were actually surprised that this is not this way in the German families. Even though the moms are working as well, but she's doing still the majority of all these duties. This is also changing to a positive one through many um, really good policies. Um, but still, this is a traditional role model, which has never changed. I have to say in the Eastern uh, Germany part, this is much better. I think one of the, um, I think it, because Eastern Germany had um, communism, where forced women to work, 
So they had to take, um, had to compete with male on the job market. I think the outcome was probably similar to China, that female was actually stronger in many, many aspects. That came out through this push. And um, therefore, um, female from Eastern Germany, I would say, are in that aspect, I would say, is much um, more modern than in Western Germany. That is so interesting. I did not know that and I did not realize that uh, this gender difference and the gender role difference is fairly interesting from whatever I have heard from other places. That, my dear listeners, was the voice of Yang Lu, the much celebrated designer and author of multiple books. In fact, one of her books is called When East Meets West. So why at all is there a universe? If there is one, why do, why is there many right now? Is consciousness getting bored? Is that non-dual reality, Atman, Brahman getting bored? Why is it appearing in this way? So the answer to both of your questions is, the first question is that why does it do this? The answer actually is why not? And the second question is, was it getting bored? The answer is actually yes. One of the theories of creation in Vedanta is the Leela theory. Play theory. This is basically the play of consciousness, or the play of, you can call it the play of God, or you can play, call it the play of consciousness. Now, think about what you just ask why does the one appear as the many? Why does consciousness appear as time, space, and this universe of many, many beings? Suppose it didn't. One could ask the question this non dual consciousness, it seems perfectly useless. Why doesn't it do something? The moment it does something, quote-unquote does, you will need multiplicity. You will need variation. So the one, remaining the one, appearing as a universe of diversity is non-duality. That, my dear listeners, was Swami Sarfriyapriyananda from Chicago explaining the primal cause of diversity. Beneath all the diverse forms that we experience in the world, a thread of universality and one consciousness exists. In my opinion, in order to give justice to these words, and one more word, equity, the effort and understanding begins really at the roots, at home, in educational institutions, and everyday life beyond just workplaces. We are diverse. The earth is diverse. The planets are diverse. Yet we are one because we came from one. Thank you for listening to the series between the East and the West. Do subscribe to the channels mentioned on the site in case, of course, you liked what you heard. I am Meenu Gupta, the host of the series, and I'll be looking forward to your comments. We love feedback. Thank you once again. Namaste and bye-bye.